Don't miss out on your chance to listen to four-time Super Bowl champ Charlie Weiss on the only podcast solely devoted to everyone's favorite position in football, the quarterback. Listen for free now by subscribing wherever you get podcasts or by going to CelebrityQB.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, bringing you the latest in sports news, fantasy analysis, and opinions. Don't forget the hot takes. Can't have a sports show without hot takes these days. What about hot cakes, though? Mm, I want some hot cakes. Now, here's your host, ready to jump into the thick of things, Dwayne Callender. All right, Throwdown Nation, let's get right down to it. I had to re-record this episode. Uh, it's a little before 6 in the morning, Recording, re-recording this episode because I went on a little bit of a rant last night between the end of the Giants game and listening to the post-game press conference with Pat Shermer somehow justifying some of his decision-making in the fourth quarter of the Giants game last night. So l- let's just get right down to it, and I'll do the recap of the rest of the league. And, you know, maybe I'll try to maintain some sanity because I needed to calm down a little bit after last night. And it's not because I wanted the Giants to win, but I at least like to see some logic being applied. And yes, I know what the analytics committee is going to say about the two-point conversion attempt. I know what they're going to say. But there's a reality of the situation that people fail to bring in mind whenever they bring up analytics. Because there is a human element that you actually have to quantify. So I'll get into that in a bit as well. Let's just start off with the top of the story. The New York football giants fall to 1-6, losing to the Atlanta Falcons 23-20. I mean, the basic long and short of this game is the New York Giants cannot pass block or run block to save their lives. Nate Solder gets just abused like a redheaded stepchild. And there's nothing the Giants can do about it at this point. You paid the man $15 million a year, $62 million guaranteed, and he is a complete and utter bust. I talked about this before earlier in the season. I think Solder is actually done as a premier left tackle, and yet he's the highest paid left tackle in the league. That is on Giants GM Dave Gettleman and the Giants front office staff not doing their homework on Solder in advance. You don't give out that kind of money without knowing for sure what you've got. They paid for past performance, and now they are paying uh, just in just utter misery. Because watching Solder just give up sacks when he even has Evan Ingram chipping on a, a defensive end, it's 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 comical. You know, if if it wasn't for the fact that you really even want your team to win as a fan it is comical if you're just watching as a neutral observer you can't believe that this is the highest paid left tackle in the league the Giants offensive line took various turns of just getting absolutely burned on some of the most rudimentary stunts that defenses can employ because Atlanta was not doing anything uh, anything creative they just copied what Rod Marinelli uh, of the Dallas Cowboys the the Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator did in week two nothing about this was different from week two that's the thing that I find the most troubling with the Giants I see no level of progression or development in this offensive line the only reason why the second half improved is because uh, Pat Shermer swallowed his pride and actually did some more max protect formations 
to allow Eli a chance to throw the football uh, if if he could hold the, hold on to it for three seconds. I mean, literally, that's what the Giants had to do. They ha- they had to actually swallow their pride, say that we can't run the football. Saquon Barkley only ran for I think it was forty three yards. Yeah, it was forty three yards uh, uh, on fourteen attempts. And then he just had to catch a bunch of dump offs. So nine catches for 51 yards. It was the first team to figure out Saquon, but it really wasn't figuring out Saquon. It's just the Atlanta Falcons uh, on the turf were just that much faster on the turf than the Giants. The Giants look like a slow football team uh, in spite of all their skill position players. If the rest of the team is not uh, that athletic, guess what? You're going to get exposed. And the Giants were badly exposed in that uh, first half uh, last night. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of nice things to say. Eli threw for almost 400 yards. He was at 399. But Eli missed a ton of throws. Uh, you know, uh, and believe me, I've crushed the offensive line, but I've also uh, crushed Eli as well. Eli, you know, if I was rating Eli's performance, it was like a 7. You know, you know it was it wasn't terrible. He missed some throws, but it wasn't anything great either. Even though he threw for almost 400 yards, it was almost by necessity. And the Falcons have a terrible defense. So if I'm doing a breakdown, I, I can spotlight a couple of throws. Uh, you know, there's a, a pass down the middle to Sterling Shepard where Sterling Shepard goes up and, and grabs it for a 30, I think it was like either a 35 or 38-yard gain. Uh, might have been a little bit more than that, but realistically, that should have been a touchdown. If Eli hits Sterling Shepard in, in stride, that's a touchdown. Uh, the two-point conversion, and I'll get into that a little bit further, the, the first two-point conversion to Odell, yes, it's a drop by Odell, but the issue here is that Eli throws it to the wrong side of the pot. So basically it's a pylon play where if Eli throws it to the outside of the pylon where it's supposed to be on the back shoulder, that is a touchdown because Odell runs right to it, doesn't even have to go down and grab the ball. That's a touch. I mean, it's a conversion of two-point attempt. Now, was it a dumb idea to go for the two-point attempt? Yes, and I'll go into it why. And I know why the analytics committee is going to disagree with me on this, and I get their point, but there's a certain thing to be said about time and place and what you actually have as a group. And I'll talk about this as well because, like, uh, Frank Wright did this a couple of weeks ago. I crushed him for it. People were praising Mike Vrabel, and I I said at the time, it made sense given the circumstances of where they were on the field. Mike Vrabel did a colossal failure to understand the situation. I talked about this Sunday night, uh, but, you know, long and short of it with the Giants – this team is not good enough to win 10 games. You know, now that I, I, I've been able to get enough uh, viewing of this team, I thought this was a team that could go 6-10 or 10-6. and six. The problem with the, that assessment is that that was assuming the offensive line would somehow be better than it was last year. It's actually worse than it was last year because not only are you paying Solder a ton of money, you cut flowers for Chad Wheeler, which – is pretty much a wash. Uh, Willa Hernandez is a rookie who gets uh, beat on too many plays clean. And this is what I'm talking about with the offensive line, the, the lack of development, because teams are running the exact same stunts and eight-gap blitzes week after week, and the team is not picking it up. We went through another uh, center because 
you know, we, we finally kicked John Greco over to guard because he was that bad uh, playing center. It, it's just poor grading throughout. And the fact of the matter is we traded our backup center to the Vikings just on a whim before the season even started. It, like, there are so many things that I have to question with the Giants that the New York media as a whole doesn't really bother to go into the details about. And I feel like I'm wasting time on this podcast going into it because I feel this should be the job of other people. This should be a fantasy sports directed podcast. And there are too many things that are functionally wrong with the New York football giants that most people should, who are getting paid a lot of money, should be able to identify and course correct. This should have been happening four months ago. And here we are now. But anyway... So when you when I see John Mara pacing up and down inside the press box, I, I'm wondering, dude, sit sit your ass down because you know, looking like you care in front of the cameras is a whole lot different than acting like you care because John Mara is like asleep at the wheel more often than not on some of the decision makings uh, uh, decisions being made inside the Giants organization. He's way too inattentive as an owner, point blank. And, you know, making comments about Odell and wanting him to stop talking and play a little bit more, that's not helping matters. Yes, Odell needs to do that. I could say that. You as an owner, you say that in private. You don't need to be blasting your wide receiver right before a game uh, to, uh, to shut up and play. You do that in private. There's no need to do that. You're, you're trying to act tough for the fan base. We don't need you to act tough. We need you to actually be an owner that's being attentive to the actual needs of the franchise. It'd be a lot. I I'd be more. I'd be more accepting of it if he was blasting Nate Solder. You get paid fifteen million, buddy. You got to buck up. But anyway, so here's uh, the point of contention that you know uh, Pat Shermer's going to get crushed on, and you know I get why folks are going to crush on him. I'm going to crush on him because it's an entirely different reason why. Uh, I disagree with the decision. So Pat Shermer with the Giants down. The Giants just scored a touchdown. It's 20-12. to 12. Pat Shermer elects to go for the two-point conversion and fails to do it. That's the pylon play I was talking about between Eli and Odell. Here's the issue that I had with it. According to the analytics committee, it is far more likely that you'll convert at least one two-point conversion play than failing to two-point conversion plays. So in their estimation, you should always go for two more often than not. Here's the thing that I say to counter that. When you're a 1-5 football team and mistakes are the uh, are pretty much what's accepted and not the exception, you know, you cannot afford to do high-risk plays like that. If you're a good team... You can be aggressive because you're used to being able to function at a high enough level to execute those type of plays. Because in order to execute those type of plays, because realistically, a two-point conversion has uh, more often than not, it's a variance of either 42% to 52% of actually being successful, depending on the team. Yeah, so by and large, they're less than 50%. Good teams can execute those plays above 50%. Bad teams are well below 50%. The New York football giants are a bad football team. Trying to say that you're instilling uh, confidence in your football team is one of the dumbest arguments you can make. 
You have to be objective about where your team is at that given moment. Not where you're going to be. Not trying to establish an identity. Your job is to try to win football games. You know, if you're trying to tank to get a top draft pick position, okay, great. But some of these teams that are going for two, it makes absolutely no sense what they're actually trying to accomplish here. Or making rash decisions on things that don't need to be rash decisions. Because when Pat Shermer lines up the field goal unit uh, to kick the extra point, and then all of a sudden sprints to the referee to point up his two fingers, that's not a that's not a rational decision that you thought about uh, and were clear as to what you want to do. That's just, hey, let's go for it, guys. Let's go. Let's do this thing. It, it, it's just ridiculous bravado that doesn't need to be there. Your team's not very good. You have to be pragmatic about these sorts of things. So, yes, I get the analytics committee's approach to it, saying that it is harder to fail at two two-point conversions than uh, than just converting at least one out of two. So that's why you go for it on the first one. I get it. But guess what? It's still a higher percentage of you being able to execute two extra points than actually going for, uh, than converting to, uh, uh, than, than converting at least one two-point conversion. It's still a higher percentage that you're going to be able to execute two extra points successfully. So, you know, when you're not a good football team, you have to play the percentages that are actually obtainable. And so, you know, I, I get why the analytics committee is like uh, trying to defend Pat Shermer, but he should be getting crushed because this is not a good football team. You have to give that team at least some incentive to keep on playing through because if you fail on that, you saw what happened on the next drive. Like the Giants ran into each other on defense the very next play. The Giants defense was not focused for the first four plays of that next series against the Falcons. And it's because the defense was like, what the hell is coach doing? They're thinking about the two-point conversion instead of focusing on the job at hand. So I'll, I'll leave it at that with the Giants because, like, again, this was the mild-mannered version of the breakdown from the game last night because there was a there was a not-too-safe-for-center uh, version of my rant from uh, midnight last night covering this nonsense. Because it, realistically, the Giants are not a good football team. Pat Shermer does not have uh, the wherewithal to go for it on that side of play. I think the moment has gotten too big for Pat Shermer, and that's the reason why I would call for his firing already. And yes, it's his first year with the Giants. But I've already seen that, you know, he does great sound bites for the media. He confronts the media. Blah, blah, blah. If I'm watching the actual game itself unfold, Pat Shermer loses track of how the game goes. That whole sequence where Eli Manning's going for two straight QB sneaks and he justifies it saying, we got to get the ball in there, that is idiotic. There's no way that a QB sneak should ever be attempted when you have no timeouts and it's under a minute left and you need two scores. That is the least successful play you can run because if you fail, you wasted 30 seconds off the clock. The fact that they actually managed to score is a miracle because more often than not, if Atlanta was even halfway decent at holding up the play and clogging up the line after the failed QB sneak, Atlanta would have been able to run out the clock and the Giants wouldn't even gotten that uh, last second touchdown. If anything, that last second touchdown would have been the final play of the game if Atlanta was competent at what they did because Atlanta's defense was not very good, but the Giants' offensive line was even worse. So again, you're using your worst offensive unit to try to get two yards on a play and your justification to the postgame 
press conference is, we got to be strong. We should be able to get a, a, a yard or two. No, your team is not good. Your offensive line is one of the worst in the league. Your bottom three in terms of offensive line efficiency. So, no, trying to say that you should be able to get in there. Yes, if you're an average team, you can. But now when you're a bottom three team, no, that's not how it works, Pat. So that's why I think Pat Shermer's disconnected from the reality of the situation. He has one of the worst rosters in the league, despite the skill position players involved. So he actually has to play percentages, and he doesn't do that. He's he's trying to go by analytics, but analytics cannot solve the fact that you have a bad football team. So try, trying to do uh, high leverage plays is asinine. If you're trying to if you're trying to be a lottery pick team, yeah, you can go for it because you're going to fail. But he's portraying this as if this team is actually capable of making the playoffs, which they're not. So that that's what I got for the Giants. So let, let's get into uh, so, so, some of the other games that transpired. Uh, Kansas City just absolutely smoked the Bengals 45-10. to Casey's defense is not that good. This was just Andy Dalton being Andy Dalton in prime time. Uh, this is why people rip on Andy Dalton, myself included, because he has these... Go, go, just, just crawls into the fetal position and accepts defeat. You know, if, if you're telling me Eli Manning's done, great. But don't tell me that like some of these quarterbacks like Dalton are that demonstrably better than Eli. If you gave Eli a better offensive line and the Bengals receiving core, guess what? He's not losing 45 to 10. I'll tell you that much. You know. Like Dalton goes for a buck forty-eight and a touchdown and, and a pick six that was telegraphed a mile away because literally the linebacker dropped underneath AJ Green and Andy Dalton still insisted on throwing to him. I, I I have no idea. He has wide receivers running wide open. John Ross is wide open on that route. And he still tries to force the ball into AJ Green, kn- knowing that there's a defender underneath him. He thought he could get it over to the defender. That's that's how asinine some of these plays are that that I'm 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 seeing I'm literally seeing. Uh, but it, you know, less said about Sunday night the better. Uh, the Rams beat the uh, 49ers 39 to 10. Uh, you know, CJ Beathard. I I thought Kyle Shanahan did what he could with CJ Beathard. Uh, you know, the pass rush got to Beathard and. He just did not look good. So he basically went back to being the quarterback I thought he was. So uh, I, I think the Packers game is more of an aberration because the Packers don't have a pass rush. Because once C.J. Beathard like, saw the pass rush from Dominican Sue and Aaron Donald, who was in his kitchen the entire way, he just dumped the ball off as fast as he could, and that was it. Like There were no vertical threats whatsoever. Marquise Goodwin, like... Like, was a no-show because, guess what? Beathard saw that pass rush and just went into complete captain checkdown mode. So, uh, that game was a complete wash. And then Gurley did his thing. Uh, You know, Gurley put up his 28 fantasy points. You know, that was the hallmark of the game. I mean, if we're doing the top uh, performers uh, of the weekend, I mean, of course it's going to be KC because the Bengals did not show up at all. I mean, Patty Ice, uh, 32 points. Kareem Hunt, over 34 points in half-point PPR. Uh, I'm sure he was over 37 points in a full-point PPR, uh, close to 40. Uh, uh, and, you know, 
that that was that. I mean, for the Rams, you know, it's the girly show. Golf was relatively quiet, and I know golf owners are slightly concerned, but they shouldn't be. It's just the way the Rams' offense goes. It's just like the, the game script just called for lots of girly because San Francisco could not move the ball whatsoever. Washington beats Dallas 20-17. to I'm just going to say this. Every, everyone is going to try to Monday morning quarterback DFS uh, saying that, oh, people shouldn't have paid up for Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, it was a mistake. Uh, I'll put it to you point blank. The reason why Ezekiel Elliott did not have a good day is because Dak Prescott is playing like a below average QB right now. Because the Redskins stacked the box with 9 and 10 man fronts. There is no way that Dallas should struggle this much throwing the football. They traded a first-round pick for Amari Cooper, which was a completely asinine move because Amari Cooper is a borderline number one receiver. He's a number two receiver for sure, but borderline number one because he drops too many passes, not a precise route runner. Maybe a change of scenery helps, but that is not what you pay for a number one wide receiver because he he checks out of games way too often to be ever be counted upon as a number one wide receiver. Anyway, uh, but to my point about Ezekiel Elliott, the reason why he didn't have a good game is because Dak Prescott could not throw to the outside receiver. And it's why Dallas panicked and made an idiotic trade. I mean, if the Patriots didn't even give up that much for Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon's a leaps and bounds a better receiver than Amari Cooper. It's not even close. But, you know, there was one play in particular uh, that just drove me insane is that the Cowboys were driving uh, in Washington territory. They're on the 30-yard line for the Redskins. Zeke is wide open in the flat. He may not score a touchdown on that play, but he is so wide open in the flat, he is definitely getting that ball and getting inside the 10, possibly into the 5. Maybe if he makes another play, he gets into the end zone. Zeke is wide open in the flat. Dak sees Zeke, throws the ball to him, and misses him by a good eight yards. I like. I kid you not. If you watch the play, you're saying to yourself, "How can you possibly miss Zeke that wide open? There were no defenders around. Like that was just Dak not executing. Zeke catch uh, gets that pass catch and gets inside. Uh, uh, get, uh, gets inside uh, the ten yard line. Then Zeke is a double digit scorer. Uh, uh, he, he's a, he's in he's in the upper teens uh, to twenty points. I mean, of course, if he gets the touchdown, then he's in the 20s. But that's the difference in DFS. Like, sometimes when your quarterback is struggling that badly, you need those underneath passes to make it work. Like, Dak couldn't even do that. So, you know, good luck with that Amari Cooper trade because, uh, I, I like, Derek Carr's a better quarterback than Amari Cooper, I mean, than Dak Prescott, and Derek Carr couldn't get Amari Cooper going on some of those uh, passing routes that the Raiders have been running the last two years. Because uh, even with Gruden's offense uh, being different, last year Amari Cooper would check out of games that Derek Carr was trying to get him involved in. So I, I, I'm I'm waiting to see where Dak is is going to throw Amari Cooper open because I, I'm not seeing the separation out of Amari Cooper that you would expect. And the way the pa- uh, uh, the Cowboys' passing offense is so limited in terms of what wide receivers can do with it, this <clears throat> this is a recipe for disaster in my opinion. Moving on, uh, the Ravens lose to the Saints 24-23. Justin Tucker just misses an extra point, which, like, it, it, it was a stutter to everyone. It, I mean, th- there's a no getting around it. Uh, but, you know, looking at the game itself, it was a defensive struggle. 
the Ravens did what I thought they were going to struggle to do. They managed to contain both Kamara and Mark Ingram and held them to under 100 yards rushing combined. That was a hell of a job by the Ravens' defense. The front line and the linebacking core, uh, uh, they did a tremendous job. I actually have to give the Ravens a lot of credit. That was probably the best defensive work the entire weekend that I saw because the, the Saints were trying to get uh, Kamara and Ingram going, and they were committed to running the football. And I mean, they had over, uh, they had almost 30 rushing attempts between the two of them. Still, cannot get to 100 yards combined. Uh, that that's a hell, that's a hell of an effort by the Ravens defense. And as for the Ravens themselves, uh, Joe Flacco did not cost them the game. Uh, you know, he stayed within himself. Didn't make the dumb turnover. Uh, John Brown was uh, had a big first half. Really quiet third quarter, and then made a couple of nice catches in the fourth quarter, including a touchdown uh, that actually uh, got got them the win. But uh, that's a, that's a big win for the Ravens. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I would say, I would say uh, uh, I, I'm sorry there. Uh, that's a big win for the Saints, but it's still a big uh, it's still a great performance for the Ravens to actually take uh, uh, to ta- uh, to take uh, uh, some solace from that because. While there are no moral victories, like, to me, I didn't think the Ravens were a playoff caliber team. That performance, even though they lost the game, that performance was a win in my opinion because it actually justified what some of the concepts that they're trying to do with Lamar Jackson and everything else. That that actually, that formula can work uh, in the playoffs. And with the AFC North as dysfunctional as it is, the Ravens can actually get to the playoffs and win that division. If they play at that high of a level, they're going to make the playoffs because that was a playoff caliber performance that the defense put on, and the offense uh, did a good job. They did a good job. Uh, They lost the game on a fluke play because you see that kick by Justin Tucker, you think it's a good kick, and then it just veers off on the extra point. It was bizarre. Hey, Throwdown Nation. Are you at the bottom of your fantasy league wondering what is going on with your quarterback? Well, I think I've got a new show that may just fit the bill for you. The show is called Celebrity QB, featuring four-time Super Bowl champion coach Charlie Weiss. Unlike other football shows, you'll get the inside scoop on all things quarterbacks to get your burning questions answered, such as, is this the year Tom Brady finally looks his age? Can Aaron Rodgers actually play a full season on one healthy leg? And can Dak Prescott actually lead the Cowboys to a Super Bowl in spite of Jerry Jones? Coach Weiss and co-host Steve Strau have got you covered on all things quarterbacks. Listen now on Apple Podcasts or any major media platform. Celebrity QB, everyone's favorite position. I mean, the bug guys from Justin Tucker validate how bizarre that play ended up being. But anyway, uh, moving on. uh, The Colts had a monster game from uh, Marlon Mack and the Bills. You know, when you have an option of Derek Anderson or Nathan Peterman, you've already given up all hope uh you know the bills defense just gave up i can't really blame them like the bills management just does not respect this team whatsoever with these lousy ass options at qb when you know they could just pick up the phone and call kaepernick it's like you know if you need a brutal collusion case just go with that because it's just ridiculous at this point uh the links teams are going to just accept defeat and not actually bring in the best talent available because there's no way Derek Anderson should be starting an NFL game in 2018, let, let alone 2016. But 28, it, like this is getting ridiculous at this point with uh, some of the QBs that I'm seeing out there today. 
So what else intrigued me about the league this week? <laughs> not a whole lot. I mean, Jacksonville, not good. The Jets, not a very good team right now. Jacksonville, Blake Bortles, not even close to being an average QB. Anyone could be brought in at this point to replace Blake Bortles, and no one would bat an eyelash. The Jets, you know, Sam Darnold is getting the experience that I expected. It, like The Jets are not a very good football team. They don't have a good offensive line. They don't have a whole lot. Darnold actually is playing better than I thought he would, but I still am not sold on Darnold being able to throw effectively in the wind in, in the Meadowlands. You know, he he didn't look great throwing the football. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. He was 17-42 and threw three picks. One of them not his fault, but I, I said this from the outset. I needed to see him throw in the wind in the Meadowlands to be convinced that he could play in New York, and that was not a good test uh, there. Uh, he failed that one, but, you know, it is what it is. Last point I wanted to get into today, because people are still talking about that Bears-New England game. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky, even though the Bears' defense didn't play well, Mitchell Trubisky is probably the biggest reason why the Bears lost that game. The two picks he threw had no business being thrown. And I'll tell you why. He's forcing in throws, and it's throws that, you know, I scratch my head at because the the comparison that I see with Trubisky, because I, I compared him to Tannehill at points, but Trubisky also has traits of Blake Borles early in his career where Blake would just make throws, and you're wondering what read did he make to, like, justify that throw because it didn't make any sense. Like, Trubisky is trying to make throws where he just thinks his arm strength is good enough that he can get away with some of those throws. And, you know, yeah, he threw the desperation toss at the very end, uh, uh, which uh, got him the 300 yards uh, passing and actually won someone the millionaire maker on DraftKings. But realistically, like, the throws that uh, uh, Trubisky made, you know, you know, a lot of them were very risky throws. Like, I, if I'm a Bears fan, I'm getting slightly concerned with the way the direction of the offense is going. Because, yes, I like uh, when Tariq Cohen gets more involved in the offense. But, you know, the Bears are, like, just foregoing Jordan Howard to make it all about Mitchell Trubisky. And I don't think he's ready to handle that level of volume just yet. So, uh, that's uh, that's where I kind of look at the Bears. The Bears should be a playoff team based off of what I'm seeing in the division. Because I think the Bears are just as good as the Lions. Uh and the Packers have so many holes in them with an injured Aaron Rodgers that, you know, you can take advantage of it. And even though Minnesota won, like, Kirk Cousins is one of the most disappointing quarterbacks of the year. Not named Alex Smith. Alex Smith is an ab- absolute train wreck at QB right now. But uh, Kirk Cousins is a big disappointment to me right now because he's not making certain throws. And Adam Thielen is making Kirk Cousins look good. Uh, because some of the throws Kirk Cousins making, I'm, this is like some of the worst performances I've seen out of Kirk Cousins in a while. Even though he threw a couple of nice spirals in the wind, like Kirk Cousins did not look good on Sunday either. It's just that people are focusing on Sam Darnold's performance, but Cousins had his own issues going on uh, throughout, and it wasn't the wind that was the cause of it. It's some decision-making. I'll be able to get into that further uh, on another day, but... Uh, yeah, th- those were my thoughts on the NFL as a whole. 
you know, the Giants, like I said, I'm calling for Pat Shermer's firing. And it, it's not because I don't think he can be a head coach, but he doesn't understand the reality of the situation that he's in with the Giants. And trying to this nonsense about trying to establish a culture, like culture comes from actually winning. And right now, Pat Shermer's not playing the percentages to the favor of winning. He's playing the percentages to what he wants to do as a head coach. And it doesn't really work that way. You know, Bel- Belichick learned that a while ago where, you know, he had to figure out ways of winning. And then once you win, then you get to get guys to do what you want whenever you want. Because you won enough that people actually have to buy into whatever you say. You have to win first. Then you can, like, start setting the ground rules for what you want to do. Like, these guys are trying to enforce, uh, like, be totalitarians and enforce their will right off the jump. And it doesn't work that way in the NFL. You know, I, I keep I keep seeing guys fail to be disciplinarians because they don't learn the fact that they have to win first in order to become disciplinarians. Anyway, so uh, no Le'Veon Bell. So Le'Veon Bell watch continues. Uh, for those fantasy owners that have him, uh, good luck with your season. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you at this point. Uh, it, it looks like it's going to be a week 10 show up just to collect, uh, just to uh, become eligible for a free agency because th- th- no one can understand the Le'Veon Bell situation uh, at all. So that's what's going to do for the show. Uh, I- I'm sure some other folks are going to cover LeBron and the Lakers going 0-3. You know, it's three games, folks. I don't care. <laughs> it's like, uh, I-, I really don't care about the NBA this early in the year. Uh, so you-, you got NBA action. You got the World Series coming up between the Dodgers and Red Sox. I'll get into that uh, later tonight, hopefully, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, that Dodgers uh, series... I, I just have to fa- favor the Red Sox there. I don't see the Dodgers having enough firepower to stay with the Red Sox, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you my breakdown uh, a little bit later. And uh, uh, so stay tuned and uh, have a good one, folks. It's the most talked about position in all of sports, the quarterback. And now there's a show solely dedicated to the most sought after role on the field, Celebrity QB featuring four-time Super Bowl champion coach Charlie Weiss. Unlike other football shows, you'll get the inside scoop on all things quarterbacks. Like, is this the year Tom Brady finally looks his age? Will dating Danica Patrick distract Aaron Rodgers? I mean, he's dating Danica Patrick, Charlie. We're interested in that, you know? Well, I mean, Tommy's got Giselle. I'll (laughs) I'll take Giselle, okay? Is Dak Prescott good enough to win a Super Bowl for the Cowboys? Which rookie quarterback has the best shot of making a positive impact in 2018? How about intellectually, Charlie, as far as what they ask the quarterbacks to do now? The game has changed, but the pressure that's put on quarterbacks and it always been put on quarterbacks is tremendous. Join Charlie Weiss and co-host Steve Strout on an all-new podcast from Lasting Media, exclusively about quarterbacks. Subscribe now at Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Celebrity QB, everyone's favorite position. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.